Talking with Tech is sponsored by Q Interactive, Pearson's iPad-based system for testing, scoring, and reporting. Experience unheard of efficiency and client engagement with 20 top tests, all delivered digitally. You can sign up for a free 30-day trial at pearsonclinical.com slash TWT18. Um, after that 30 days, if you want to go ahead and use it, call 1-800-627-7271 and give them promo code TWT18 to get 10% off the Q Interactive license. Uh, this is only good through the end of the year, December 31st, 2018, so try it now. Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet and I'm here with Rachel Nadel. Rachel, your head, there's something with your head. It looks different. It looks bigger, maybe. Like like maybe you got all this knowledge or content from someplace. What's going on? It's exploding with knowledge from Asha. <laughs> How was Asha, Rachel? I wish I could have gone. It's not, it looked amazing. We missed you so much, Chris. Honestly, Lucas and I kept talking about how we wish you were there, you know, and it was, it was amazing. I love Asha, but I have to be honest, I'm tired. I'm really, really tired. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I mean, you had presentations and then you were at the booth and you were recording and, and uh, you tell me, what, what was it all like? Okay, so first things first, I presented on Thursday at 6.30 p.m. I thought it was a great idea to fly out from LA to Boston and take a red eye at 6 a.m. on Thursday, knowing that I had to present at 6.30 p.m. on Thursday night. Um, so I got there and I got to the airport late in LA. They made me check my bag at the gate. So I was gonna just carry my bag on. Uh, when I got to Boston, they, I, my bag was nowhere to be found, of course. <laughs> so I already was like cutting it close and then I had lost my luggage. And I was freaking out because all I thought was, am I really going to present at Asha and yoga pants? Like, is this really my fate? Um, luckily, somebody had just picked my bag up accidentally. So I got my bag back. I changed in the bathroom of the airport um, and then went straight to the convention center. I went to the speaker ready room, got all ready, ran into Jill Center and Matt Bod, which was awesome. I was, they were right behind me in line. And they're like, oh, you know, they're, they're chatting with me. I'm like, yeah, I'm presenting. And he's like, yeah, we're presenting too. Like, when's your, when are you presenting? I was like, uh, in an, an hour. And they're like, oh my gosh, that's so soon. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so I presented on Thursday night, which was amazing. And um, I was so- Wait, tell us, tell us more. How did that go? How was the presentation? What did you present on? So I presented on AAC and autism, my two, my two favorite things. And what's crazy is that actually they, they changed the format of my session. So originally it was a seminar, which is 90 minutes. And I think it's 90, maybe it was an hour, but they changed it to a 30 minute technical session. So Whoa. at the last minute, I had to just get rid of so much content and figure out, prioritize what's the most important. And so that was really challenging for me. So I started the, the presentation. Actually, two things happened. One, um, I had a, a tech guy come in because there were some technical difficulties. Of course, um, the last thing you want when you're presenting at a conference is technical difficulties. So, so the, the tech guy was awesome. He came in, but then realized after I had started that he had left his walkie-talkie on my podium. And so his walkie-talkie, like people were talking tech issues on the walkie-talkie. And so in the middle, I just had to kind of pick up this, you know, walkie-talkie and I didn't know where to put it. I felt like I was holding like a bomb. I was like, uh, where do I put this? So I just like put it all the way in the back of the room. 
<laughs> so that happened. Um, but yeah, I had to just like rapid fire, go through so many different things in 30 minutes. And so after I was done, I felt like I had ran a marathon. I was like out of breath. I was like parched. Um, and then everybody, you know, came up to me afterwards and said they wished that it was longer. And, you know, I answered a bunch of questions at the end. Um, so all in all, it was good, but it was, um, Thursday was a rough day for me. <laughs> That's uh, that sounds great because people kind of left people wanting more, you know, even though they, if you had more time, I'm sure you could have filled it with so much more content, but this way people are coming back more. And it's not like you don't have a way to give people content. You know what I mean? It's uh, we true. have podcasts and the website and the YouTube channel and everything. So at least you got to share, right? Absolutely. And it's always just, uh, it's such a pleasure meeting people who are excited about AAC and, you feel so energized when you leave a conference like that and you feel like you were able to make an impact on another SLP because we know that we know how far of an impact that goes, right? It's not just me working one-on-one with clients when I can teach a room full of speech therapists, you know, how to do something a little bit differently or think through a different lens, give them an idea to use in their clinical practice. It's just so cool to think about how many children that impacts. Yeah. The ripple effect that you throw a pebble in the, and make the waves, right? The ripple effect. That's it. Right. Exactly. So Rachel, that was Thursday. Did it calm down for you or did it get even you know, more crazy as the week went on? Yeah. So Friday, actually, I was so honored to be a part of a panel discussion on how can we create digital products online and use technology online while remaining ethical. So the uh, ASHA ethics guidelines had just changed recently, which I didn't know about until I presented on this at ASHA. Um, and so we had a very lively discussion. Um, Megan Sutton from Tactus Therapy, um, Danielle Reed from Sublime Speech, uh, Mailing Chan, you know, from Exceptional Edge, she was the moderator. And uh, oh my gosh, Lisa Kathman from SLP Toolkit. Um, so I was on a panel with a bunch of really powerful SLPs, boss ladies who are doing amazing things in our field. And we had a really interesting discussion about ethics and how we remain ethical in you know, our practice. I talked a lot about the telepractice things that I'm doing. I talked a lot about the podcast, um, how, we, how we remain ethical on this podcast. And um, it was just really, it was a really great talk. It turned out way better than I thought it would be. And the best part was we had, um, we had a man at the end of the talk, he raised his hand and he said, I have a comment, not a question. And of course, when you like hear that, you're like, oh no. <laughs> and then he goes, I'm a retired member from the ASHA Board of Ethics. And then I'm really bracing myself like, oh no, did I say something unethical? <laughs> Is he disagreeing with me, with my ethics? Am I going to get kicked out? <laughs> so, um, but he had an amazing feedback. He said, you know, he sang our praises and said how, you know, we did such a great job. We had such relevant discussions and, you know, it was really, he admired all of the, the things that our businesses are doing to remain ethical. And so it was, it was wonderful. And he of course came up afterwards and introduced himself and it just like, there's nothing better when you're doing a presentation on ethics than to have a, you know, a retired ASHA board member come up and, and sing your praises. So it was really cool. That, I, now I'm even more bummed that I wasn't there because I would have loved to hear you guys talk about that. It it's, it's, uh, sounds like an awesome experience. So 
that was Friday. Well, what else happened on Friday? Was there more? I mean, did you get to uh, hang out at that Newsline booth that was happening? Yep, we were uh, we were hustling at the Newsline booth, Mei Ling and I, um, and just she has the Exceptional Leaders podcast. Uh, we were doing interviews, live interviews, the rest of the conference. I had so many amazing SLPs stop by our booth and say hello and hop on. And we talked with lots of really great people, some we've already had on the podcast, um, some presenters and some app developers. And so it was really, really, it was really cool. But I was, I'm not kidding, at the end of Saturday, I was so tired. I had done so many interviews. I had, you know, made so many connections. I was really inspired, but it just, it takes a lot out of you. I can imagine your voice may have gotten a little bit hoarse from 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 talking in that loud atmosphere and then talking all day long to people, right? And you're on all day. Like, yeah, I get it. But it's so worth it, right? You come back and you're just completely exhausted, but also refreshed in a, in, a, in an odd way. Would you say that? Absolutely. You know, what's really great actually is Jenna Rayburn, who actually was just on our podcast and I, she was at ASHA. I got to meet her in real life, which is so cool when you have all these connections with people. Uh, I know a lot of SLP bloggers and all of these people in the digital space, but we haven't met in real life. And so same thing with Jill, Jill Center and Matt Bott. I was like, oh my gosh, we're in real, real life. You're, you know, I can give you guys a hug. Um, so it's really cool when you can meet people in real life. But Jenna, actually, uh, we did a short interview with her, which we will share with you guys. Um, but she just released a blog post and talking about SLP entrepreneurship and how inspired she was when she left the conference. She, she says she wrote the blog. I think she had a, a, a 6 a.m. flight and she was writing this blog in the airport while she was waiting for her 6 a.m. flight. So it was like four in the morning. Morning, um, and she's she's sitting there blogging, but it's it, it's a really great read. I would highly recommend it, and you know we could link to to that in the show notes. But um, it was it was so cool because I feel like she just really she really encapsulated the inspiration. You know, when you go to ASHA, you're meeting people from all over the country who are doing amazing things. Um, and one of the reasons that I really like it is that because you know, it's not just AAC related, right? It's lots of different people. You know, you meet people doing things with adults and you meet people doing things with fluency. And it's just, it's a really kind of eclectic mix, but the common thread is we're all SLPs. Um, and there's a lot of really, really cool things going on, you know, out there and people developing new apps and new treatment, you know, protocols and, you know, sharing all of the research that they're doing. So it's just, it's really cool. It's a cool place to be. Yeah, you know, I think I saw that there was like 16,000 people there. I mean, some of the pictures were incredible, the number of people that were there. And it seems like that's going to continue to grow year after year. Yeah, I actually think there was 18,000, which I was blown oh, away wow. by. Um, wow. I think that they came on the loudspeaker. They had this loudspeaker. It was really interesting because um, I've never experienced that at a national conference, but they, it was only in the exhibition hall, but they, you know, they gave kind of a, I forget what the exact number was, but it was in the 18, it was 18,000 something, uh, which was really shocking. And it's like, wow, you don't, you don't realize how many SLPs there are doing the work that we're doing. And then you to think that 18,000 of them decided to go to our national convention is just, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, it's amazing. That's amazing. Well, okay, so let me ask you this. You said you recorded some podcast interviews. What's the plan? How are we going to roll these out so all the listeners get to hear your interviews? 
Yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot of them. So I, we, we've been brainstorming. How do we deliver all these wonderful interviews to our dear listeners? Um, so I think that we've kind of grouped them into different categories. And um, today's interview, we're going to talk about, uh, or we're going to put together Jill Center and Matt Bod and Marlene Cummings. Um, they both presented at ASHA and they talked uh, a lot about this idea of this expert AAC model and how it's outdated and we really need to figure out how we can train communication partners. Um, so it's not, you know, an expert AAC specialist coming in and then leaving, um, but instead, how can we train a circle of support to help communication partners in an ongoing way? Um, and, you know, we talk, we use the word coaching a lot in these interviews um, and I'm really excited to share them. And they both kind of talked about similar things. So um, I I thought it would be a nice, a nice little combo. Awesome. And then there's someone named Ashley that you got to meet. Yeah. So Ashley, she's a talking with tech fan. Um, really excited. She's, she, found me. I felt so cool at this, this booth guys, every time I would leave, they, you know, I would have a fan come up and, and, and ask where I was. And so I would come back and they'd be like, well, you had another one come saying, where's Rachel? Is Rachel here? Um, so Ashley was one of those. And I, she happened to come back, um, after, uh, I wasn't there the first time around and she came back and she had a lot of questions. And so I said, I paused and I said, Ashley, these are really great questions. Is there any way you'd be willing to hop on the microphone with me and ask them on air? And so she said, yes, of course. So we, we hooked her up. She put the headphones on and yeah, she just asked me some questions and uh, I tried to answer them the best that I could. And so I thought it would be really great because, you know, these are probably questions that some of our listeners are having and why not share? Why not share, you know, the answer in a, a more public forum? I love it. I love it. I can't wait to listen to these and I can't wait to listen to the future weeks. So, so Rachel, hearing about those interviews, it's got me really excited, but it also has me a little bit sad because here you have met Jill Center and Matt Bod, for instance, right? And all these other people. And you and I have still never met face to face. This is the only time we know each other from the podcast only. <laughs> Which is so crazy, Chris. I feel like we're besties and it's just everyone that came up multiple times actually um, because everyone's like, where's Chris? I was like, you know, he's not here and I really wanted him to be because we've never met in real life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I, feel like, uh, I, I think people would be surprised to say that, right? Because, you know, we just get along so great in this podcast. We do. And we see each other's face every single week, you know, for at least an hour, if not more. Um, so it's just just like it's so funny to think and I really love that because it really feels like we are very good friends and how cool is it that we have technology that allows us to connect on you know such a such a personal level when we're actually you know time zones away from each other and have never met in real life I know I, I always try and keep that in mind that there is no better day to be alive than today <laughs> you know absolutely and actually I put that in the same with, with all the technology we have, but I put that in the same ballpark with AAC. You know, if you were going to, if you needed an AAC device, today is the day. It's the best day to need one. And tomorrow will be even better because things will continue to improve. There's more content out there. More people will know the information, new technology. So it just sounds like a, you had such a wonderful time at ASHA. Um, let me ask you this though, Rachel, just switching gears just a little bit. Were you able to convince anybody to do more reviews because the end of the year is creeping up and what number are we at with, the, with our mission to get to 100? 
You know what, Chris? I had so much on my mind that I was not even thinking about our challenge, which I'm really disappointed about at some level. But at another level, I'm really proud of myself that I did so many awesome interviews. Yes, <laughs> I can I only do so much. <laughs> Be kind to yourself. Um, but we have 79. So we are, what, 21 away from our goal. Uh, it is November 26th when we're recording this right now. So we have a month. We have a month left, guys. And if you haven't already, please, please, please go on. Um, leave us a review. We've had some really great ones um, that I'm really excited to share. Actually, people um, leaving some comments on the reviews. Um, you don't have to necessarily leave a comment. You can just give us uh, however many stars you'd like. Lauren Misses You says, this podcast provides me with information and pushes me to be a better teacher. 100% of my students use multiple modalities to communicate, including a mix of speech, speech generating devices, some ASL, some adapted signs and visuals. I've been inspired by many episodes and find myself relating what I learn here to my team, including my paras who support students with devices all day. Um, I love that. Sounds like she's a teacher, which is so cool. Exactly. We, breach, we are reaching out beyond just speech therapists to more teachers and other educators and family members, and that is awesome. Yeah, we have another one, LCSLP22. I'm a second-year clinician and self-proclaimed AAC nerd, which I just love that. Um, I'm a self-proclaimed AAC nerd as well. Talking with tech provides me with the guidance and reassurance that I need to serve my kiddos. I work in a private clinic, so the advice regarding collaboration with school clinicians is especially helpful. Keep up the great work. Um, and I love that she talks about the reassurance because I feel like that was a goal of mine when we started this podcast and still is to make you feel more confident about the services that you're providing. And um, I think at some level, we all second guess ourselves. We all think, oh, like, am I doing this exactly right? Or should I be doing things differently? And so I just, you know, I hope that this podcast helps give you a little bit of confidence about, wow, they do the same things that I'm doing. Um, you know, not to say that we all have to do things in the same way, but I think that it's nice to hear other SLPs that are doing things that are similar to you or have similar, um, you know, train of thought when it comes to the things that, that come up in our practice. Yes, there's nothing better than having like a, a firm pat on the back that says, yeah, you're doing it right, you know? And if you listen to this podcast and you feel that way, awesome. That's exactly what we're shooting for. And then on top of that, maybe to stretch your thinking to what's next, you know? How we use that strategy of uh, expand for our students, you know? So, yeah. so yes, get the pat on the back that you're doing it. And then what's next for you? What's the next thing you want to learn about? I think that's, that's awesome. I was going to say, should I, should I share another one? Because there's another really great... <laughs> Really great yes, one. We please. got a lot of really good ones. Um, maybe it seems like it was right around Asha. So maybe, maybe, maybe I, I was leaving a mark. Um, I definitely talked about our podcast um, when I was presenting. I mean, I didn't ask people to leave a review, but I did say, here's a really great free resource if you are interested. Um, so this is from Eeyore for Jesus. Um, I've been listening to your podcast for about two months now. It's really been an encouragement and a reminder for me. I work in an ABA school and often get blocked on my suggestions for AAC as the principal seems to prefer PECs. I'm able to use your podcast as a reminder that I am knowledgeable about AAC and can still implement my skills with these kids. Often the kiddos appear to know that when I see them, I don't discredit their ability to communicate. As a result, they seem to be happy to see me. I really appreciate what you guys do and how I can learn different strategies from your podcast to still best support my kids. I love this one. Um, oh my you know, 
because I feel like kids know, kids know who believe in them. And I really, really believe that, um, you know, and if, if we don't presume competence and potential, um, you know, I, I really feel like kids know, kids feel that. And I, and I, and I think that it's, it's a mark of a really great therapist and teacher, you know, when you believe in the students that you're working with, it's the foundation, which we obviously, we talk about that a lot on this podcast, but um, it's just really nice to, to hear that feedback. Eeyore for Jesus, keep it up. Keep sharing the podcast. Give it to the administrator that is not convinced that what you're doing is the right thing. Show them so that you're not alone, right? You, we are here in this day and age as we close in on 2019. There's no reason to feel alone. There's tons of people out there that you can connect with. And so thank you for sticking with it. And thank you for trying to change people's minds about AAC and, and believing in the students. So Rachel, is there any more reviews? Yes, there are. Uh, AAC Actual Talk SLP says, I heard about this podcast by participating in the PRC AAC Journal Club. I listen while I work out, clean, or while driving and literally get, and he used an emoji, uh, like two hands up, like woohoo. Um, as an AAC therapist, it's helpful sometimes to hear the issues I confront daily with carryover and myths about AAC are not isolate that I'm not alone in my quest to advocate for communication. You guys inspired me to start my own AAC blog, aacactualtalk.com. Thanks for all you do. Excellent. Well, everyone go check it out. Go check that out. Right. And also, I mean, we talked a lot about just kind of having the courage to, to start your own thing and to start a blog or to share a resource or, um, so I'm just really, I'm inspired by that. I'm just really excited that we were able to make such an impact on well, so Rachel, that was, um, so I participated in that research club. So maybe it was my, I was one of the uh, people that did one of the initial presentations this year for the journal club. And so, and I shared, of course, about the podcast in the journal club. So maybe that person heard it from me. So awesome. I'm so glad. That's so great. That's awesome. Yeah. See the reach that we have. We don't even realize Chris, Chris and I, Chris Lucas and I don't always realize that when we're having these conversations that, you know, they're actually going out into the universe and other people are listening. So um, it's good to hear that, you know, not only are people listening, but people are really liking the, the podcast that we're putting out. So I'm very grateful. So we're only a handful of reviews away from reaching our goal of 100. If you have already left a review and you want to help, something you can do is Ask someone else to write a review. You, hey, have you, written a re have you written a review for this podcast yet? Because we're close, but it is going to be a squeaker, I think, whether we're going to actually hit that 100 mark before the end of the year. I know. And I really want to, guys. I don't like having challenges that I can't succeed at. Um, I'm, I'm not super competitive, but when it comes to like making my mind up to something and I say it out loud, then I always follow through with it. So we really need to get there. I, I am not opposed to begging and pleading and like spamming everyone's like social media. <laughs> Don't make me go ask my aunts and uncles and cousins to go just leave reviews for us for it. Like, please let it be authentic. <laughs> you know, I'm still, I'm, I'm mad at my mom because my mom said she would write a review. She's listened to a few episodes and she's like, still, I, I sent her a video on how to leave a review because she was confused. And I'm like, if I don't see that review soon, mom, we're going to have an issue. <laughs> well, so, maybe you'll see her for Christmas. That can be like a, a holiday present to you. Yeah. I, don't worry. If there's no review by December 25th, I'm going to be like, listen, put, put your, pull your phone out and figure out something, something nice to say about this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, so without further ado, I cannot wait to hear these interviews from ASHA 2018. I'm here at ASHA 2018 with Jill Center and Matt Budd. Thank you guys so much for stopping by our booth. How are you guys? Great. It's great to see you. Yes. Good to be here. I know. In the flesh. So we actually had these guys on our podcast. One of our one of our most popular downloaded podcasts, actually, was you guys. Really? Yes. You guys were, were uh, you're at the top of the list. Um, but we never met in real life. So I'm really excited. We actually saw each other yesterday when I was at the, the speaker ready room frantically trying to get ready for my presentation. Um, I ran into you guys. Yeah, it's great to meet you in person. Absolutely. So tell me what you guys are doing here, what you're presenting on, how many talks are you giving? Yeah, this morning we actually gave a talk on our research. We did a technical presentation on our parent instruction and partner augmented input. That was uh, earlier this morning. That was a lot of fun. We did that with our colleague Kathleen Post. And actually we're sharing our handouts as well for people who didn't get a chance to make it there. Oh, that's amazing. So where can people find them? We will have them available on Technology and Language Center's website, which is www.talcaac.com. We will definitely link to that so all of our amazing listeners can have access to that. Um, so you are you spoke this morning for the technical session, and then you're speaking later tonight? No, um, Saturday morning, 8 o'clock. Oh, uh, fun. Wow, that's exactly what I want to be doing Saturday morning at 8 a.m. <laughs> Hopefully I'll be out of bed by then. <laughs> It'll be all right. I'm a morning person, so it's okay. Yeah, Matt will just talk for the first hour and I'll just kind of wake up slowly. You'll drink you'll drink your coffee and then you'll you'll arrive mentally to the to the talk by by the end, right? Exactly. Yeah, tomorrow's session is actually on improving staff development, uh, professional development for school staff. So we'll be talking a lot about the eight-step model that we've adapted from Kent Walsh and McNaughton and how to utilize it with school teams. Yeah, so just for our listeners who maybe didn't listen to your episode, which I would highly encourage you guys to go back and listen because it was fantastic, um, just brief overview of what, you, what, you, what your framework is. So we use the Kent Walsh McNaughton. It's an eight-step mm-hmm. process where you go through things such as the pretest, where you get a little baseline of what's really going on in terms of reality in the classroom. And then you go through different steps. And part of it is in terms of an in-service component, but most of it actually happens live within the classroom. And like our last study, the study that we just talked about today was actually happening, you know, things within the home and doing some of the parent trainings that way. So as you go through the different stages, you get some demonstration, you get some um, a verbal practice, and a lot of you guys have heard s'mores, and that's what we use to kind of tie everybody in there. And then we go through control practice, which is where we start bringing in the coaching element into the, the classroom. Um, control uh, advanced practice, which is where you pull back, you're still giving them feedback. You're still coaching them. And then we kind of get to see it in terms of post-tests, like what happens now that we did this training. And usually, pretty quickly, we do see a significant change with the communication partners. And I was just, I just spoke with Marlene Cummings. And it's just, I think that the 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 baseline and the pre-test and post-test is so important. We don't even realize, you know, the gains that we make without having that objective data to look back to. And I think it's a it's a misstep a lot of times. Well, and a lot of times people want us to skip the pre-test. They don't see it as an important element. You know, let's just go straight to the training. And the reality is that 
people don't always recognize their own habits and ways of communicating. So when they have a chance to watch their own baseline on their own, it can be incredibly eye-opening. I do that when I watch myself on videotape. Oh my gosh, I asked 5,000 questions and didn't give any pause time. Um, but watching oneself on video is a really fabulous way to get a good picture of reality and what's happening in the here and now. How, what would you say to someone who is really resistant to maybe, and maybe it's not just the idea of a pretest, but maybe it's like, I don't want to be on camera. Um, well, because how we do in terms of like the partnership, it's right. We know coaching is all about establishing a partnership. When we talk about watching the video, we do it, we, they do that on their own. So I think that's where we get a lot of the buy-in where they're like, we don't want to be on camera, but we're like, we're not watching it together. We want you to watch it to identify things that you want to work on. So I think that's where we've got a lot more buy-in. And in our school district where I'm at, the whole videotaping is built into our mentorship. So nowadays it's easy for me because whether you're a first year or second year teacher, they have to do it. Um, it. They're doing it for all their other things with their mentor and mentee. Even the mentor has to be videotaped. So it's kind of a culture change in our district, which is really wonderful that coaching is just a natural element. So we don't get as many kickbacks with it, but there are districts that we do consult with that have certain barriers in place, just like you can't videotape. So I think those are some of the things that we still struggle with at times. Absolutely, and I think that we... Uh we really need to shift the paradigm through which we're practicing to more collaboration. Um, it's not this expert model um, that's outdated. And I, my last question for you guys is for SLPs who are out there who maybe have those limitations in their school districts and they feel like, you know, I want a collaborative model, but like no one's really supporting me. What are some things that those clinicians can do to kind of get the ball rolling? Well, one of the things that I know Matt has done a lot in his district is work with administration to try to get the buy-in. Mm -hmm. Present the data. You know, there, there are really good research projects out there now that show that this works. And so we need to, know, we need to do what we know actually works. Absolutely. And I, and I think start small. Like find that most classrooms, most districts have one teacher that's awesome, that'll try anything. So I think that's what you do as a speech path. You find that go-to person, try it, get the buy-in, and that's where, that's kind of what happened. That we'll get that takeover that way. And I think too, um, you know, I remember years ago when I first started practicing, I was nervous to do that kind of model, right? I, I felt like, who am I? Like I just got out of school, I don't really know what I'm doing. Um, and so I think that there's this, this fear internally with SLPs um, that they kind of have to, to get past that. Well, well, I know in terms of like our district, our speech pass actually said that they're scared to coach. So like we took part of our framework and actually did a coaching lab and trained them, worked them, and also we did other resources. And I know like Jill, we always talk about Jim Knight. We used a lot of those training resources to help get other staff members comfortable. Yeah, and I and I think one of the things again that Matt had already mentioned that's really critical about coaching is coaching is collaborative. Coaching is establishing a rapport. Coaching is being a good listener. Coaching is giving objective feedback so that the person can problem solve on their own. Coaching is help helping the individual being able to figure out what they want to work on. So that's really more what coaching is. Coaching is not necessarily an expert, like you said. Coaching is someone who has to have a very good working knowledge of the strategies that they're trying to teach so that they can model them. But coaching really is collaborative and it's developing those rapports. It's sitting down in the lunchroom with the teachers and talking about your day and just getting to know one another so that it really can be much 
much more comfortable and much more natural. Yeah, we just had uh, Jenna Rayburn, uh, who is working in the preschools. She has a huge teachers pay teachers following. Um, she does a lot of stuff with AAC in the preschools, and part of our conversation was sometimes you just have to talk about things that are not speech therapy related uh, to build that rapport and that trust. And once you get there, then you're able to do so much more. Uh, but sometimes it takes, it means taking a little bit of time out of your day to just talk about whatever it is that teacher or SLP wants to talk about that day. Oh, completely agree. There's times where I walk into a classroom and it's, it can be difficult walking in there and seeing things happen, but it's like I take that out of my mind and set and just exactly as you said, like establish that relationship, have fun with them just so, so they trust you and you get to know who they are too. So it helps you when you do coach. Absolutely. So what are you guys most looking forward to the rest of your time at ASHA? Oh man, there's so many sessions that we've wanted to see. I know. So many sold out sessions where we're sitting in the overflow and I know. You know, saying, yes, yes, this. Um, so just more more of the same, getting to hear some new ideas, getting to sit in on some really cool sessions, getting to check out some of the new technology in the exhibit hall. Uh, it's really been a great experience. Ash is always a lot of fun. And I'll be kind of nerdy. I kind of like the posters to see some of the research out there. It's nice. Yes, I know. There's so much. I feel like it's like, it's almost overwhelming in a lot of ways, but I think you always leave feeling really tired, but also really inspired. Um, you have talked to people and have different perspectives and new ideas to share. And so I think that it's a, it's such a, a special, special time of year, right before Thanksgiving always. <laughs> well, Thank you guys so much for stopping by. I'm really excited to see you guys in real life, in the flesh. Um, and I'm really excited to share this with our listeners. They, they love you. They love you guys. So we're going to give more. We're going to give the people what they want. Well, thanks for having us again. And it was fabulous meeting you in person. Thank you. Awesome. You're welcome. All right, I'm here with Meredith Harold from the Informed SLP. Meredith, thank you so much for stopping by and talking to us. Of course, it's good to see you in person. I feel like I know you so well because we've had conversations, you know, digitally, but Asha's fun because finally you get to actually see people that you can't even remember if you've met them yet or not. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like I know you so uh -huh. well, but I've never met you in real life. So uh -huh. we're, we're here, we're in the flesh, and I've met so many amazing people that I've been following online and I've been having lots of conversations with. So it's, yeah. it's really cool to be in person. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So how's your con conference been? It's day three. So FYI to all our dear listeners, um, everyone's feeling a little tired. It's right at the end of the conference. Um, but how, how's the conference been for you so far? Um, it, yes, exhausting, exhausting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and when I was a PhD student, I would come to all the ashes and come and just kind of meander around and listen in talks and read posters. And it was just nonstop learning. But now that I have my informed SLP website, it's other things too. So it's learning on top of talking with people and getting feedback from people and having meetings with people. And so it's, it's a whole another level now. <laughs> exactly. And it's just like you said, it used to be, I just go and I just learn and it's yeah. just so wonderful. And yeah. now it's like, I go, I try to learn. I'm like, you know, trying to connect. I'm having, uh -huh. you know, we've been doing podcast interviews at this booth for most of the conference. So it's definitely takes it to the next level. And, um, it's just, I'm tired. <laughs> yeah. Ditto. Ditto. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about the informed SLP. I love what you're doing and I would really encourage all of our listeners to follow you on social media 
and uh, you know you're doing amazing things. So just explain to our listeners who might not have heard of the Informed SLP what it is. Yeah. So um, I'm a trained scientist. So I got my PhD with the intention of working as a scientist and running a research lab and producing evidence for our field. Right after my PhD, I got this wild hair that I wanted to work as a clinician for a while. So post-PhD, I went and worked as an SLP in the schools for over five years, which really wasn't the original plan. I had planned to stay there for a year or two. But once I got into a clinical setting, I started to realize, oh my gosh, like it's really different once you try to take information and actually apply it in clinical practice. And so honestly, I stayed until I felt like I had a good handle on things. And it took me five years with a PhD to feel like, okay, I think I kind of get it now. Like I'm not a perfect clinician, but I think now I get what it feels like to be a clinician and I understand how this all works. So toward the end of my time in the schools, um, I also decided to transition back into academia. So I'm working at a university again now, but also at that time, so that would have been 2016, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in a unique position here where I feel I feel like I understand the barriers to applying research in a clinical setting, and I think maybe I can do something about it. So I started to blog about our field's research, and basically what I would do is take journal articles and translate some of the information into plain language. So rather than study saying, leading with study design and leading with things like, there was this many kids in the study, and it was, you know, a randomized control trial, it was double blind, it was this, that, and the other. Instead, I would zoom straight to the information that clinicians want to know, which is basically, what did it say and how is that relevant to clinical practice? Because there's, what did it say and how's that relevant to our research, but then relevant to clinical practice is a different thing. So I was blogging about that and then started to realize that there was a, a real need for this to have someone kind of bridge that gap and explain our field's research in a way that's relevant to clinicians. And so um, the website grew from there and it now has turned into a full on monthly publication membership site where um, I have a team of 12 people now and we go through over 80 journals every single month, search PubMed and have a Google, Google Scholar um, pings too and cover between 150 and 300 journal articles every single month looking for stuff clinicians need to know. Um, and we distill that down to the volume of things that are only the things that are relevant to SLPs. So it's basically just taking this massive pile of information that clinicians are supposed to know about and actually digging through it to find the things that are applicable and then tell clinicians why it's applicable. You're doing all the legwork, which yeah, I'm like, yeah. thank you. Thank you so much, <laughs> Meredith, because we don't have the time, you know? Yeah. And, and I think part of the, the, you know, as clinicians, we know evidence-based research is so integral to what we're doing in our clinical practice, but it feels so overwhelming yeah. to have to dig through journal articles and on top of our high caseloads and all the other things that we have to manage. And so I just, I think it's an invaluable resource uh, yeah. that you're providing to well, clinicians. Thank you. thank you. I always tell people that I think that it's important for our field's scientists and for people who have good, easy access to research when you see somebody else who's not using the research or not looking toward the evidence, you can't assume that it's because they don't care. I hate that when people think, oh, this clinician just doesn't care about the research, because that's usually not the case. Usually what it is instead is that clinician is experiencing barriers, whether it's you know a really high caseload um, or inability to get access to journal articles, or maybe that clinician works by herself and doesn't have a lead clinician over her that's sharing information with her all the time. You know, mm -hmm. it, you can't assume that people don't care about our field's research. 
research, the more common thing I've seen is that people just are experiencing barriers and we need to work harder to take those barriers down for them. Absolutely. You know what this reminds me of? Have you heard of the skim? Yes, yes. Oh, that's so funny that you say that. So when I first started the informed SLP, um, I was a little bit nervous about um, putting snippets of information out there and how that would be, you know, taken. And the skim was one of my like inspiration websites. Yeah. So the fact that you've made that connection is hilarious because that's one of the things that I was looking at early on where I was like, you know, the skim does it for news. So it's reasonable that I should be able to do it for research. It's bas- it, it basically is the skim for research. I know, exactly. <laughs> it's exactly what I think of because yeah. I love the skim. Yeah. And I'm like, thank you, skim, for not only going through all of the news headlines, but also making it you know easy to digest and yeah. entertaining. Um, and so when I first found out about the informed SLP, I was like, wow, this is the skim research, uh-huh. like, you know, research SLP version. Yeah. yeah. So it's so it's so funny. I'm gonna. Ha- I'm, so happy to you know hear your story and hear that that you made that connection yeah. very early yes, on. Yes. Um, and I just love I just love what you guys are doing. I just think that not only going through the research but also the clinical implications. Yeah. Right. I think yeah. that's the the disconnect and that's yes. where where clinicians aren't always connecting those dots. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the important piece. Mm-hmm. That's why we need to read research. Right. Yeah. It's because yeah. it informs the way we practice. Yeah. So I think that that um, that's just amazing. And yeah. I'm just really excited that well, thank you. you guys are doing so well. And it seems like you guys are expanding and growing and mm-hmm. um, I'm really, really pumped. How do, how do people find you online? How do people participate in the uh, informed SLP? So I was lucky enough when I set up um, our Instagram and Facebook and Twitter accounts that they're all the informed SLP. Like it's hashtag or backslash the informed SLP for all of them. So I know some people have different titles across all their accounts because yes. it was taken, but lucky for me, mine wasn't taken. And so it's just the informed SLP everywhere. Perfect. And the informed SLP.com. I know. I love following your posts because I just feel like I get the snippets that I need. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, wow. And then what's nice is that if you post something that I that intrigues me or piques my interest, I'll oftentimes go and I'll read it. Yeah. Right. It's like, OK, she like, oh, like informed me, uh-huh. informed SLP, how appropriate. Um, she informed me about this research. So now I can take a deep dive if I want to. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the the beauty of it is that you just get. the highlights. It's kind of like the highlights reel. Yeah. I I basically think of it as like, we're essentially telling you why you'd want to look at this research and whether or not it's worth your time. Because when I, when I was practicing as a clinician, that's the thing that drove me crazy is when I read an abstract, I couldn't tell whether or not it was going to be usable by me. And I would have to get the PDF, print the whole thing, read the whole thing. And sometimes it would be fantastic. And I could replicate what they did in clinical practice. Other times I'd read an entire journal article and be like, couldn't somebody have said that this isn't ready for clinical practice yet? And so basically we're just digging through and finding those things that are ready to be used. Exactly. And sometimes there's a barrier, a cost barrier. Yes, there is. You know, and that's a whole nother thing Mm -hmm. where it's like, and and that's the worst spending money to read a research article to then find out that it's not, you know, applicable to clinical practice. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. PSA, um, even the people who are in our website who um, read quite a few journal articles regularly because we show them where they are and we point them toward them. Um, most people don't pay for journal articles. There's a lot of tricks to getting them for free, but you have to know mm-hmm. what those tricks are. So on our website, we have a how to get journal articles for free page that's yes. very heavily referenced. So any of you out there, sometimes you'll have to pay for journal articles, but more often than not, there's places you can go to 
get them more easily. So just don't 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 completely break the bank playing for journal articles because you really shouldn't need to. Okay, this is amazing insider <laughs> info from Meredith Harold. Insider info. You heard it here on Talking with Tech. Um, we'll definitely go to to her website and follow her on all social media outlets. I am a huge fan of yours, Meredith. So thank you so much for for stopping by and talking with us. Thank you, Rachel. I appreciate it. Awesome. So I'm sitting here with Ashley. We're in the middle of the ASHA convention. And I'm so excited because she is a fan of our podcast. And she had a question, so I wanted her to ask it on air. Ashley, how are you, first of all? How's your conference going? I'm doing well, learning a lot and seeing so many ideas and new research. It's just great to be here. Awesome. So Ashley was at my session last night, um, and she found me, and she was like, I have so many questions. And so I was like, perfect. I hopefully have some answers. Um, so I just wanted to, to share them with our audience. So Ashley, what is, what is your question? Well, I have some new users of AAC devices, and I wasn't sure how to incorporate core versus fringe words onto their devices and how to organize those folders or those vocabulary groups. So as far as the organization, it kind of depends on what system you're using. And a lot of the systems have them organized in a very strategic way, um, which is good because you can use the templates. Um, when you're thinking about core versus fringe, it's important you know, the, the organization is less important because kids will learn the motor plans. Um, you know, I've worked with some kids that have their fringe folders at the top of their screen and others that have it on the bottom. Um, it's kind of it depends on each case. I have some kids that I work with who, you know, their visual scanning isn't strong at the top or they prefer bottom. So, you know, there's some clinical decision making when it comes to how you're organizing a device. But when it comes to what vocabulary we're targeting, yeah. it's really important to first consider what kind of user is picking up the device. If it's you know a child who has been using a system for years um, and can navigate to all the fringe, then I'm going to really emphasize the core. Um, if it's a you know someone who is just picking up a device, um, maybe they're nonverbal, they have autism, then I might do something where I'm focusing more on fringe in the beginning. Um, I always tell clinicians that fringe vocabulary is really great because it's concrete. And in the beginning stages of AAC, we really need concrete, we need fast, we need motivating, reinforcing. Um, and sometimes, you know, core takes a little bit longer. So when I'm trying to get buy-in for a device, I'll typically start with fringe. Now, it's easy to get stuck in fringe, though. And that's what it, my talk was last night. I was talking about we don't want to just get stuck requesting, you know, nouns. We want to expand. And core words are really great for that expansion of language. So, you know, making sure that we're introducing those core words at a very early age. Um, you know, because they take tons of experiences to learn you know, what they mean. Um, I was talking to someone after the session last night and they were asking me about LAMP, you know, and, and a system. And I was saying, you know, it, it's, it's really important to kind of balance what vocabulary you're choosing to hide versus mask. Um, so there's a lot of kind of considerations that go into it. Um, but hopefully I, hopefully I answered your question. Yeah, no, definitely. It's a good place to start and then to grow and continue to develop the use by introducing those core words as needed or as they learn because I'm also noticing that my kids don't understand a lot of those words and they understand so many nouns but those higher develop or later developing 
concepts are not there. Well, exa exactly. So fringe words are what's called picture producers, right? Mm -hmm. If I said draw a truck, you mm -hmm. could draw something that resembled a vehicle. Um, if I said draw the word go, like what would you draw? You know, and mm -hmm. I think that especially kids with autism, they're very literal thinkers. Absolutely. They're concrete thinkers. So that abstraction is hard. Sure. Uh, but it doesn't mean that, that, you know, we don't keep trying to teach that. And I think the more meaningful experiences we pair with a word and we have a consistent visual representation of that word, um, it's just a matter of time yes. before kids eventually learn it. Absolutely. I had another question about having a button that has more than one word on it. So... How, is that called chunking or grouping words? I'm not sure what the term is, but what are your thoughts on that? Yes, so I have a lot of thoughts on okay. <laughs> quick fire phrases, um, which is oh, one of the words, one of the kind of terminology words to use. Um, I, I, I caution using quick fire phrases um, too much, um, and here's why. A quick fire and a chunked phrase is really great in a social context mm -hmm. where you need to say something quickly. So. I live at 125 Lincoln Boulevard, mm -hmm. for example. Um, that's something that we could put in a quick fire phrase because we need to get that information out quickly. Um, you know, same thing with, with peers. Uh, sometimes peers won't have the patience to sit and wait for a child to, you know, put a four or five word phrase together sure. on a device. But then, um, you know, we can just click a button and it says it. Um, so there are contexts where I think quick fire phrases are really, really useful. But... If we use them too much, then we're not teaching the foundation and building blocks of sentences. Mm -hmm. uh, we're not teaching the language. Uh, I always give the example of the I want phrase. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if I gave it last night. I was so quickly trying to, to <laughs> convey so much information. We only had 30 minutes. Exactly. Not enough time. Yes. For our <laughs> listeners who don't know, they changed the format of my session. I thought it was it, the seminar is 90 minutes, and they changed it to 30. And so I had to whittle down my presentation to what felt like uh, basically like the bare bones minimum. Um, I wish it was 90 minutes. It was <laughs> well, I really sad that it was only 30 minutes. I appreciate that. I felt like afterwards I like had ran a marathon because I was talking so fast. Um, but I forget now what the question was. Oh, it was saying um, about the I want phrase and then using that as the quick fire. Yes. So the problem with chunking I want together mm -hmm. is that we don't then teach the individual meaning of each word. So then that's when you see overgeneralization. We see the kids who are scripting I want because we, we haven't taught the difference. So instead of teaching I want and you know just focusing on want for example. Mm -hmm. So you could say want cracker instead of I want cracker, but then you can say mommy wants cracker, you want cracker, um, you know, want more. We can do so many things and so many pairings with the word want that we wouldn't necessarily be able to do or it would overgeneralize. So I think that's part of the problem with chunking these words together. Mm -hmm. We're not teaching the units. Um, and that's when kids will, sure, they can memorize it. Yeah. I mean, I have so many kids on devices right now, not because of my teachings, but because of other teachings. Um, you know, they just rapid fire, I want fill in the blank mm -hmm. now. Um, and so it's just part of the problem is they're memorizing that that motor plan and they're like, I know what to do in front of a noun. I put I want. Yes. Um, and then once kids get older, you, you know, I always tell the example, I show a picture of a kid on a trampoline. I say, what's he doing? I want jumping. Mm -hmm. um, okay. No, he is jumping, but you clearly don't understand the difference between I and want. Together. Exactly. Okay. But in the social phrases, like what's your name or my favorite color is, yes, those could be chunked together. Yes. But with the linguistic formulation, you want those 
words to be separate so they can create their own sentences. Exactly. So okay. it's a it's a balance, right? I mean, it's like everything else. We need to kind of balance uh, rate enhancement, which we want kids to be able to say things quickly Absolutely. and adults. Um, you know, we it, it taking. Saying things on devices takes time. Mm -hmm. uh, building sentence on devices takes time. And so we don't want everything to be laborious. We don't want everything to be a lot of work. Absolutely. And sometimes there's very appropriate situations where you would want social language to be chunked. Okay. Um, but just we can't do all of that. Okay. Um, and I think that it's just important as SLPs to guide the team as to you know what what are we deciding to chunk together and what are we deciding to actually teach as the, the concepts. Perfect. Okay, there's one other question I had with Go for uh, it. For, with regard to grammar. So when the kids do say, I want apple, when or the boy jump, when do we add those grammatical morphemes like I want an apple or I want or the boy jumped? How do you incorporate the morphology into yes. an AAC device? It's so a lot of these robust systems, they have those... Uh, those settings available, mm -hmm. which is really nice. And in some of them, you can specify which specific grammatical, mm -hmm. morphological ending that you're using, which I love. Yeah. Um, the way that I, I think through it is, are these kids putting the concepts together mm -hmm. in the right way? And sometimes I work with kids and I'll, I'll model, you know, the, and I'll say, you know, I want the apple. Uh -huh. And they'll pick it up so quickly and it's like, great. If they pick it up quickly, I'm like, Go for it. it. Right. Exactly. Now, I will say the caveat with that is sometimes they just memorize it, though, and there's the no understanding because what is the, yeah. you know? And then I have to teach, well, the goes in front of a noun sometimes, yes. <laughs> you know? So, yes. like, grammar, grammar's tough. I would say focus your energy mostly on core concepts. Okay. So I would say before working on grammar, I want to see a lot of linguistic understanding of those core word concepts. Okay. Um, now... We always need to be a step ahead, right? Mm -hmm. We need to model a step above. So I might model morphological endings and see what okay. happens. Okay. Um, you know, I'm definitely modeling them verbally. Yes. Uh, but also on a device, I think that, you know, we need to keep challenging the clients that we're sure. working with because I can't tell you how many times I've been like, oh, like, I don't really know if they're using it consistently and mm -hmm. all these things. And then I introduce a morphological ending and they totally get it. They understand. Okay. And I'm like, wow, that so was crazy. like if they were to put, I want apple, you could rephrase it and say, oh, you want an apple. Yes. And like build on what they say, like it, early intervention. Exactly. And I would, and I would always do that verbally. Um, so that's, that's the important thing. Now, sometimes like putting on a device, you know, it depends. It all, it kind of just depends. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think there's harm in trying. Okay. And seeing if they're at a place where they can kind of like get it and pick it up. That's a good idea though, to model it and see what they. Exactly. Have. And model without expectation. Yes. Just put it in and see. Sometimes kids are so savvy and they're like, oh, I see that ING. Like yeah. I can change it really quickly. Yes. Um, and there's some really cool things that some of the apps are doing with okay. the more flexible yeah, markers. I, I noticed that they have all the tense markers and. Yeah agreement so it's nice that there's an option but it's like when do you introduce that and they're not at that level yet but yeah that's a good idea just to model it and see where they perfect where they are and do you have any do. yeah do you have any other questions no that's it that's really helpful thank you so much for all these answers and for chatting with me about this topic of course ashley thank you so much <laughs> i'm really excited to to talk with with our fans and to answer some questions we're always curious what you guys think so you know if you have a question please don't hesitate to reach out to us on facebook we have an awesome facebook group where lots of people ask questions and there's a great dialogue um, and also you can just send us an email if you don't want to do it in a, pu a public forum um, but we're here to to help and to answer any questions that you guys have. So thank you so much, Ashley, for thank stopping you. by.